Good morning again. Turn with me in your copy of God's Word to Acts chapter 17. We'll continue our series. We're getting close to the end of the, the book of Acts. Hopefully you've been encouraged by uh, the, the scripture here and these messages so that we can get an idea of and see how the early church began. And we would draw some encouragement from that because it's possible, uh, if it was possible for them, it's certainly possible for us because what we see here in the scripture is not unlike what we see here today. Um, we see very similar challenges that they encountered uh, then when they were starting. And so we ought to be encouraged as we continue to read through when we think about First Baptist Bolingbrook and what God has for us here and how he wants us to reach Bolingbrook and the greater world. So uh, this morning we're going to talk about how sharing is caring. Um, interesting title to, to, to think about, but we, we get this connotation in everything, uh, every other part of our lives. Uh, we're anxious and excited to be able to share different things with people. We just came out of the Christmas season where we're, we, we love to give gifts and see people open their gifts. When something happens in our lives, we have a life change or uh, somebody in our family has a life change. They graduate, they get a job, they, they move and get a new house or whatever have you. We love and we look forward to sharing that with people. We want people to share in our excitement. Look at what's what's going on in our lives and I want you to join with me and rejoice. Let's rejoice together. And so when we think about the greatest message that man has ever known, the person and work of Jesus Christ on the cross, there is nothing better that we can share. I mean, your grandchildren are nice. They're cute and all but they don't compare to the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. You know, the, the, the new house that, that somebody in your family got, it might be nice and you might be looking forward to just sharing some time with them on the, and during the holidays or whatever have you, but it doesn't compare to the kingdom that we have to look forward to. So all these things come together. When we're having these conversations, we're having the relationships with people in our lives Somehow uh, we leave out the most important thing, and that's who Jesus Christ is. And that's what Jesus Christ has done, not just for us, but for them as well. And we, we tend not to share those things, but I'm here to tell you that sharing is caring. You have to have a special type of love for the people in your lives or even the stranger to share with them the good news because that has eternal implications. That matters for more than just right now, this minute. It matters for forever. Eternity is a long time. I don't know how we got various ages here in the room and, and with us online, but even as old as you are today is just a blip in time in comparison to eternity. Let's look at the grand scheme of things. Everybody will uh, be living uh, uh, to eternal lives, but the question is, where would you spend that time? Would you spend it in, in heaven with Jesus, or would you spend it in hell? That's a very serious question that we all need to consider. And, and our decision, our motives, 
what we do, how we put the foot in front of the other, the next steps that we take, it matters. What you do right now matters in the span of eternity. So I hope you can be encouraged today as we look in Acts chapter 17. We'll get a look uh, from Paul and he'll show us how he does it. The master evangelist is going to show us uh, kind of how he puts things into place. And it ain't that hard. It's not that challenging. So let's look. Acts chapter 17. I'm going to start here in verse 16. It says, Now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. I'm going to stop right there. We're going to take this a little slow today. Uh, uh, Rick challenged me how long I can preach, so we're going to try this out today. <laughs> so here in 16, uh, uh, he goes to Athens, and, and Athens is the cultural and religious center of Greece, and it was home to the most renowned philosophers in history. You've heard of these people. If you've studied anything in school or even, even not, you, you've heard of these people, the people like Socrates and, and Plato, Aristotle. You've heard of these folks. They, they were from Athens. Epicurus was the founder of Epicureanism, and Zeno was the founder of Stoicism. These were two of the most dominant philosophies in that day. The, the Epicureans and the Stoics were, they're all polar opposites of these different extremes. Uh, they, they couldn't be more different than one another. So the Epicureans, they didn't really value religion. And they didn't think that the gods were interested in humanity. They, they kind of believed in many different gods, but they, they won't touch humanity. They're above that. So they, they tried to get the most pleasure from life that they could because they thought well, when you die, it's done. It's over. There's, there's nothing more. They believed that the body and soul would just disintegrate. That sound familiar to us today? We, we have this, this hedonist attitude where I'm going to live life to the fullest and I'm going to do everything that I need to do because when this life is done, it's done. So I'm going to do the most outrageous things with my life that I can. I'm going to go jump out of airplanes. I'm going to do all this. That's kind of what the Epicureans thought and believed. Stoics, on the other hand, they taught that the goal of life was to reach a place of indifference. That They wanted to get to a place uh, where, where pleasure and pain, they, they didn't want to show any kind of emotion. They wanted to have control over everything. And before you go any further, I'm not stoic. I do show some emotion sometimes. You know, I can get emotional. It just, it just depends. But from a religious perspective, Athens had something for everybody. It was kind of a religious smorgasbord. Uh, so every deity known to man could be worshipped there in Athens. Pliny the Younger was an ancient author and lawyer, and he estimated, get this, he estimated that there were about 73,000 idols represented in Athens. I don't know if he went and counted all these things. They had a census to go on and say, hey, what kind of God do you, you worship? But 73,000 different idols could be worshipped there in Athens. It was a marketplace for religion. So get, get this place, get just walking into it and just kind of seeing all the different things that are going on. And these people have different uh, uh, bents toward different types of not only religions, but, but different types of gods. Look in, at uh, verse 17. Verse 17 says, so he reasoned 
in a synagogue with the Jews and devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. So the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him and said, uh, and said, some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. I love that we see Paul. He, he walks in and it says he reasoned in the synagogue. This is why uh, I say it's not difficult for us this reasoning, this is just a cabinet of conversation. There, there could have been some, some arguments or definitely points of disagreement, but he's going and engaging with these people, having different kinds of conversations. He's listening and taking it in, and he's like, okay, I, I, I hear what you're saying, I understand, but have you thought about? Have you seen? Have you read? Have you just uh, considered? He's reasoning. We don't do this today. I mean, I talked before about you're either this camp or that camp. We, we don't listen and try to understand people anymore. But this is what Paul is showing us. He's going and reasoning with them to, to understand, and he's, he's standing firm where he is, but he's, he's also lovingly talking to them, having a conversation back and forth. He's building a relationship with these folks. He's not just going and and, and just talking to, to, to hitting them upside the head with the Bible. He's going and, and building something with them. They call him a babbler, though, which is, is kind of funny. This, this Greek word babbler, it means one who, who picks up seeds. So the, the connotation is that uh, someone who, who pecks at ideas like a chicken would peck at feed. And they just spout things out, not really in any coherence. They're just picking it up and pecking and just throwing it back out there without any full understanding of what it is they're actually talking about. And I don't know about you, but as I read through the Bible, more and more I feel like this could have just been written this week or last year. Because we see this so much nowadays that, that uh, we see people uh, going through and they're just reading the headlines instead of reading the full article. And they, they draw their opinion based on what the, the sensational headline has to say. And now these headlines are structured in a way to get your attention and to evoke a response. But instead of reading through the article and seeing, well, that was kind of sensational. They probably shouldn't have had the headline that way. But I understand where they came. No, they just read the headline and they run with it and form their own opinion. And, and you can forget about reading a book. It seems like, you know, in, in order to understand the topic, uh, I don't hear many people say, well, I read the, the authors of this, this thing, this notion, this idea to really understand this topic so I can talk about it coherently. That unfortunately doesn't happen as much these days. I was recently having a conversation with somebody and they said something that sounded really weird to me. And so I said, um, where exactly did you get that information? How much research have you done on this topic, <laughs> you want to know where they got their research? Twitter. Say, so, well, um, I, I don't think that's a, a good source for <laughs> understanding what this topic is about. Um, you might want to read some some actual books, or even uh, you don't want to read a book. Here's some articles, but you probably don't get the most robust information from Twitter. Just to let you know. But as Paul is talking to the Epicureans and the Stoics, they're thinking, hey, we got some, another one of these Twitter and Facebook warriors. Here he is coming talking about this Jesus guy. He don't know what he's talking about. 
He's coming to Athens, and we we already know. We got it down for what it is that we know and believe, and he's just coming out of pocket with this guy named Jesus. They viewed him as an amateur philosopher and like uh, someone who had no ideas of his own and just plucking things out from different places and putting it together with no real solid belief. But they're going to learn today. They encountered somebody they really didn't expect and Paul's got his stuff together. Look with me in verse 19. It says, um, so they, they took him and brought him to Oropagus, saying that, um, may, may we know what is this new teaching is that you are presenting? For you bring a strange thing to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. And now the Athenians and the foreigners who live there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. So Paul, standing in the midst of Oropagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For I passed along and observed the objects of your worship. I found also an altar with the inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. Paul, again, here, the master evangelist, he goes and, and, and we see how he's noticed everything that is going on. He's perceptive. He's uh, kind of immersing himself in and just taking it in. Um, and, and now we, we, see, we see that um, uh, he's, he's trying to engage them in this particular way. In 1 Corinthians, Paul says, he talks about being all things to all people. So what we see here is him adapting to his audience that, that he's in front of. It didn't matter if they were Jews or, or pagans or, or demons or anything else. Now, Paul had this, this gospel jujitsu that he was ready to put on anybody who was willing to step up to the plate. And so there's a lot of things that we can learn from this about how Paul deals with this pluralistic society, much like our own, right? We don't see anything different than what we, what we see here in the text. Paul walks into Athens and he looks at things from a Christian perspective. He looks at things very differently than, than everybody else who was there. He has a, a Christian worldview. So instead of being awed by this miraculous architecture and other things, they had a lot of cool stuff in the city, but he's struck by the utter lostlessness, if that's a word. He was struck by all these different things that are going on in the city, and he's floored by the idolatry. This idolatry that is rampant here in Athens, that we see here today that's rampant in our own city, in our own town. And when a, when a person truly becomes Christian, they see everything very differently. They see everything changes, just like you change. Paul talks about taking off the old man and putting on the new. Uh, and, and God talks about, you know, taking your, your heart of, of flesh or heart of stone and giving your heart of flesh, right? We have this, this heart transplant that takes place, and we, because of that, we also get new glasses. We, we get to see the world in a different way. Well, we, like, we, we take off the world's glasses and we put on God's glasses. So we might still enjoy some of the things that people who don't follow Jesus but we just see it in a different way. We look at them through different lenses. So we might see 
art differently. We might see music differently. We watch movies differently. We, we view business and, and work very differently. We think about sports differently. We, we look at ethnicity very differently. We, we view the poor differently. The widow, the orphan, money, sex, marriage, everything is different when you come to Christ. You have a different view, this, this Christian worldview that takes place. And as a Christian, we just see the world differently because we filter everything through the perspective of God and his scripture. That's why it's different for us. When we are changed, we see it differently. So everybody, by the way, has a worldview. Everybody does. Here, the Epicureans and the Stoics, they have a worldview. They, they are drawing from what they've been taught and how they've been brought up. And to see the world in a very specific way, one of the things a, a Christian worldview reveals is that the world is filled with idols. And when you really think about it, many of our sin problems, our, our relationship problems, and other issue, issues are actually worship problems. We were made, we were created to worship. So if you don't worship the one true God, you're going to find something in someone else to worship because we were made to worship. I talked about sports a minute ago, and, and I might offend somebody, but some, sometimes we, we have sports as our idol. Your Chicago Bears might be an idol. You can shake your head and know all you want. <laughs> Chicago Cubs, and so on and so forth, whatever your team is, right? Uh, we see this happening in the stands. If you watch uh, the, these, these teams play, whatever your sport is, people are sitting in the stands and people make a goal or a score or a basket, whatever it is that your, your sport is, people jump up and they scream and yell and shout. But when we come in and open the sacred text and we come in and sing, and we hear just the words of God uh, just speaking to us through our text, we don't have that same emotion. We, we, we sit on our hands and, or our mind wanders. We don't have that same amount of worship that we do when we're watching, watching our favorite celebrity in our favorite movie. I wonder why that is. We are created to worship. So if you're not worshiping, worshiping God, you're worshiping someone or something else. This is why the first commandment is to have no other gods before the one true God. If we get this right, if we worship the right God, if we get this right, everything else will fall into place. I tell you, there's no way you can be disappointed with the one true God. There's no way. I was talking to, we, we had a, a, a family Zoom yesterday, I was talking to my brother-in-law and and he, he said one of his friends is in prison, and he talks to him on, on the phone. And he says, you know, this guy, he has more joy in his heart than many other people who are not incarcerated. That, that struck me to my soul. Like, this, this man is confined in a jail cell, and he, he got to know Jesus while he was there. And he's one of the most joyous people that my brother-in-law has spoken to in a long time. Man, and here we are. Here we are frustrated with what life gives us and we're looking to all these different things. All these things are there to get in our way. But here's a man who should be downtrodden, depressed, and 
I mean, who knows how long he's going to be in jail, but that's not stopping him for praising the Lord and, and, and just showing this, this joy because of who Jesus Christ is. Man, we, we're messed up. Maybe that's what we need. Maybe, the, maybe we need to be shut up somewhere so we can go find uh, who Jesus is truly in our hearts and be able to stand on his truth because we act like we don't believe out here in the world. I want that for all of us to be able to have this courage and strength and excitement and joy for who Jesus Christ is without having to be at the lowest of the low before we actually do it. Look with me at verse 24. Paul goes on to explain, it's like, hey, I got something for you. You have this inscription to the end on God. Let me, let me tell you who this is. Says the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the faith of the earth, uh, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and, and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, yet he is actually not far from each of us for in him we live and move and have our being as even some of you your own poets have said for we are indeed his offspring being then God's offspring we ought not to think that the divine being is so is like gold or silver or stone and, and imagine formed by the arts and imaginations of man the times of the ignorance of God looked over, overlooked but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Paul here explains that God, is he made the world and everything that's in it. Uh, Herman Bovenick, uh says that uh, in, in, absolute, in an absolute sense, therefore, nothing is atheistic. He, and what he means by this is that God has revealed himself through all of nature. He is God of all. We also see this reflected in Psalm 139. Where it says, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. There's nowhere we can go to escape him. He's there. He's God of everything. And this is what Paul is saying. He also goes and talks about this, this one man, this one man who is, is Adam. Paul here affirms the historical uh, Adam as well as the fact that we're all Adam's descendants. Another nod to the fact that we are all part of the human race. There should be no partiality among any of the ethnic groups and that we came from one man. And this is a blow to national pride of the Greeks at the time and it's a blow to our nationalistic thoughts and beliefs today as well. But even then, the Greeks thought that the non-Greeks were barbarians. And funny enough, the, 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 the Jews thought the Greeks were barbarians as well. That's, that's a, a funny and interesting at the same time. 
but there is still no partiality. Paul also re- reveals that God's purpose in creating humans so was so that they might seek God. Paul paints this picture of people just feeling their way around. They're, they're grasping for something and, and someone trying to find it. It's, it's like groping in a darkness to find God. That explains us all. We're struggling and trying to figure out what's next and who's there. We try to fill the empty space in us with so many different things, but the answer is Jesus. But we still eschew that and we still just grope along and try to find something else. We're clouded by sin such that it's almost like we're blind. We know God is there, but we need the spiritual eyes to find him. We know the song of Amazing Grace, and I was blind, and now I see. Man, this is exactly what it's talking about, that, that we're, we're searching all of our lives for this, this thing, and here it is right in front of us. It's not far away. That's what Paul says. He's not far away from us. In verse 28, it says, For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are our, indeed his offspring. Here's something that's interesting to me, that Paul appeals to them uh, based on what they are familiar with. Paul is, is, is a theologian, of course, but he's also well-read. He, he doesn't just read the headline in the newspaper. He reads the whole article. He doesn't just read the article. He goes and reads the books. So he can understand what other people are reading and thinking and then he can go and have a, a coherent conversation with these folks as he engages them. He doesn't beat them over the head with the Old Testament. He actually quotes statements from pagan Greek writers that the authors, the audience that he's in front of, there's something that they're familiar with. Huh. Just because he quotes them doesn't mean that he uh, wholeheartedly endorses them. He goes and he quotes from folks like Epimendes of Crete and a Stoic poet named Aratus. He goes and says, well, here's some common ground. I've thought about this. I've read some of the folks. Here's something that you might consider based on people that I know you've read as well. And this is why I constantly say that you don't need to be a theologian with years of seminary in order to share the gospel. These people that Paul is talking to, they know little to nothing about the Bible. They might be learned in every other thing or a lot of different things. And even earlier in the text, it said they they enjoy just having conversations about different things. They wanted to learn, but they didn't know much about the God of the Bible. These people uh, that that Paul is talking to, they're, they're open to having this conversation. Now, if he went in talking about John 3.16 and Romans 3.23, they, they wouldn't have known what he was talking about. Not to mention it wasn't written at the time, but that's beside the point. They wouldn't have known or understood anything that, that he was talking about because they have no frame of reference. This is, for us, this is a good example, right? We want to go and talk about what the Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says. And I'm like, I man, I ain't got no sin. I'm good. I'm a good person. I'm fine. I don't, I don't, save from what? I don't need to be saved. What do you mean? They don't have any frame of reference for what we're talking about. And we want to talk all the, the Christian stuff and the Christian slang that we have. And they, man, I don't even know. You're talking a foreign language. Not only do I not know what you're talking about, I don't even care. But Paul here, he goes and sets this common ground for them to, to 
base their conversation on. And, and they see that he's made an effort to get to know them. And because he's made that effort, now they're more open to hearing what he has to say. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, that's, that's what Aratus said. So what does that have to do with this Jesus guy you're talking about? Huh, look at that door open. By just taking some time to get to know the people that we're talking to, kind of setting some common ground, it opens the door for us to be able to share what really matters in life. For the past several weeks, we've been talking about our relationships, right? Paul builds this bridge of understanding with his audience and then shares the foundational basics about who God is. And and in my opinion, a major problem with most evangelists, again, and these street preachers, or is that they're just talking, uh, just just throwing stuff and just talking over people's heads. They're just throwing it at them. They have no frame of reference. And again, why should these people care? What we need to do, what we need to have is this this pre-evangelism in order to lay the basic foundation and framework so that people can start to make sense of who Jesus is and what the gospel is. Much like we see in the text, our neighbors may not share the same worldview that we have. And we, we probably could assume that they would have years ago, right? But times have changed. This isn't the case anymore. People don't haven't grown up in the in the church. What's interesting is as time has gone on, you know, when I grew up, I had to, I had to go to church. I didn't have no choice. You know, even if my parents didn't go, I got shipped off to my grandparents. You're going to church. Uh, one of my friends say he, he grew up with a drug problem because his parents drug him to church every Sunday. But that doesn't happen anymore. The priority then was for kids to be in church. And then as that generation changed, then all of a sudden, well, you you don't necessarily have to go to church. It's not really that important. And as those children grow up, they have less importance and priority on that. Those children grow up. Now they don't, they they, they might go to church for a wedding. Folks not even having um, weddings in churches anymore. They might go for a funeral, maybe Easter. But they have, they're not walking through the doors of the church anymore. So we need to understand that times have changed. And we need, in order to reach them, we need to understand that they don't have the same lingo and experience that each of us have had. We can't assume that they've heard of Jesus. As crazy as that might sound to us here in the room, those of you online, as crazy as that might sound, there are people in Bolingbrook that have no idea who Jesus is. They might have heard the name, but they got no clue. Even if they have heard of Jesus, we can't assume that they understand that he died on a cross and rose from the dead to benefit humanity. They view religion as uh, these things that you do to make you a better person. And if you're not a better person, like, well, what, what do you need the religion for? It confuses them. If, you, if you're, you know, downtrodden and depressed and upset and frustrated and angry like I am, what good is Jesus? We have to think about those things. We can't assume that people know and understand sin as an offense to God that leads to destruction. I'm about to say something that could be controversial. I saw some heads pop up, so that's good. What Paul does here in the text shows us why we should have an understanding of things like CRT and intersectionality. What he's doing here is showing us that 
he wants to have an understanding of different worldviews. Now, these things I just mentioned, they are not the gospel, but they are worldviews. So in order to, to reach people who believe in these worldviews, it's incumbent on us to understand what their worldview is so that we can go and have a conversation with them. We need to understand that people have these worldviews and they compete with the biblical truth that we share. We need to uh, share with them uh, these, that these wrong ideas. And as we share with them, we, we want to listen and then lovingly counter them and, and replace their worldview with a Christian worldview. Instead of reading the headline about what CRT is or intersectionality is, and devising a plan that oh, you're this or you're that based on what the headline says. We need to go a little bit deeper or a lot deeper to really understand what it is so we can have a coherent conversation with those who might believe it. Just as Paul quotes these pagan philosophers, that might mean that we read and acquaint ourselves with other authors that espouse different worldviews so that we can ensure that we understand them enough in order to um, uh, have a discussion about them in our outreach. Because as we're out in the world having conversations and trying to reach people for Jesus, you will encounter things things that are missed, that are totally misunderstood or misconstrued, you, you will see that you encounter people who believe these things and you need to be prepared to show them why it's off base, why the Bible says what it says and why it matters. And you can, just can't take the talking points from Twitter and Facebook in order to do this. This is why I occasionally bring up music artists or actors because these are the poets and the philosophers of our culture today, right? They have Aristotle and Plato and Socrates. You know, now we've, we've got Molly Ray Cyrus and you know, uh, Kanye West and other folks. We don't need to be an expert in, in pop culture, but it, 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 this isn't a license to, to spend your time either just, just watching Netflix, like, well, I'm, I'm experiencing everything on Netflix so I can understand the culture. No, I mean, it's good to dabble and understand some of the things, but it doesn't give you a license just to immerse yourself totally in it, that we need to just understand what, what uh, the world is thinking, understand our Christian worldview so that we can have intelligent conversations. Verse 32. It says, now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. But others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, and, but some men joined him and believed, among whom also were Dionysus, the Arapagite, and a woman named Demarius, and others with them. So unlike other areas that we see in the book of Acts, where we see thousands and thousands of people coming to know the Lord, we don't necessarily see that here in the text, but that's okay. I think when we have an idea of evangelism, we have this idea that, well, I need to see this miraculous change, and if I don't, then I messed up, I did it wrong, or, you know, it's just not going to happen, so this is a waste of time. No, it's not a waste of time. We need to celebrate your step in obedience and going and sharing the faith. The point here is that Paul was ready to share the gospel, and he did so obedient. And Paul's faithfulness is on display for uh, being a bold witness of Jesus Christ. And did you notice, by the way, that 
Some people mocked him. I don't know if he was offended or affected by that. or Maybe he expected it. But that's just the way things are. People are going to mock you for less. Got mocked for the sweater today. So, Just understand that when we go and, and share the gospel, people are going to mock you, and you need to let it roll off, the, off your back and continue to be obedient to what God has called you to do. Even though not many have come forward, Christ is still being glorified. And again, I love this because I can see this happening today. So many different religions that we have. We have tons of different worldviews today. I pray that God would give us the courage. I pray that he would continue to give us the grace to follow Paul's example here. By the way, Paul is following Christ. If we follow Paul, we're following Christ. I pray that we would read this and see the example that he sets forth, and it would give us courage that we can do it too. Sharing is caring especially when there's eternity at hand. Let's pray. Lord God, what a gracious God you are. I'm so grateful and thankful just for you laying the textile for us as you did. What an example that we have for us today. I think we all need this encouragement that we can also go in and step out on obedience and share the good news uh, with anybody that we encounter you know, just as we would talk about what we did over our Christmas break and what we did for the New Year's and, and the celebrations that we had, uh, we can easily weave in our discussion about what God has done for us and what we're looking for God to do this year into those conversations as well. Uh, we can open the door to, to be able to share. But as we're thinking about this, Father, also help us to understand the people that you've put into our sphere Help us to understand their worldviews and where they're coming from so that we can uh, uh, lay down the foundation and, and cross over the barriers and the bridge that might be in front of us so that we can have an open door to share the gospel with them. Help us to do that. Help us to love and care for the people in our lives enough that we would be able to do that. Father, we thank you so much for what you've done and what you continue to do. Thank you for speaking to us this morning through your word. We praise you and honor you in the name of Jesus. Amen.